stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, clearly 2017, one of the stories of 2017 was the rise of this Me Too movement uh, and how it brought the issue of sexual harassment to the forefront. And we had, of course, revelation after revelation after revelation of powerful men using their positions of power to take advantage of women. A lot of it started with Harvey Weinstein, but uh, of course, uh, by the end of the year, there were many, many names on that list. Part of the Me Too movement as well was empowering women to come forward and to be able to tell their own stories. And obviously, these two things go hand in hand. Because for years, we had women who were afraid to come forward and tell the stories of what had happened to them at the hands of these powerful men. And institutions that existed not to help these women bring their complaints forward, but to protect these powerful men. So now as we embark on 2018, a lot has changed. But how does this new movement use its newfound power? Of course, part of it now just recently launched was a group called Time's Up, or an initiative involves some some pretty well-known and influential women in Hollywood and elsewhere. So how are they going to use this power? Well, Jen Gerson, uh, the National Post, has an interesting piece today on uh, how this movement needs to ensure that it doesn't go off the rails. Uh, in the months ahead. Uh, You can read it at nationalpost.com. Jen Gerson, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Now, you're not suggesting that this is uh, potentially a a witch hunt here, that this could turn into that, but you do seem concerned that we're we're lumping a lot of different things together here. Yeah, I I think I should be overwhelmingly clear, and I appreciated your intro because I thought it was quite thorough. I think Me Too has been, on the whole, an overwhelmingly positive and necessary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that if you actually look at the sorts of men who have been exposed and brought down by this movement, I don't see a witch hunt. Um, I mean, almost every single one of the men who've been brought down by what I would call the Weinstein effect uh, since this Me Too movement began has had, like, no fewer than five credible claims against him. Like, I don't know a lot of decent men in my life who, who could accrue five credible claims of harassment or mistreatment against right. them. That is, that we're, we're picking out the bottom of the bottom here. And so I think that that is, that is not fair. And I've seen a couple of think pieces and um, stuff, a lot of it coming from conservative media saying, well, this is going to be a witch, witch hunt, you know, social media mobs aren't fair and blah, 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 blah. And I think to some extent, these claims are a little overblown because if you actually look at the sort of men who go down on, on, on these sorts of exposés, you don't see a lot of sympathetic figures. So, um, you know, that all out of the way, I think there's been one major flaw with the Me Too movement. And I think that if people who are advocating for sexual um, harassment aren't careful, um, this particular flaw could undermine a lot of credibility and do a lot of harm. And that flaw is this um, desire to put all types of sexual harassment and all types of predators into one evil basket. And to say, you know, if if you got groped on a subway train, that's exactly the same thing morally as if you got raped. And and I think that that is, and I'm, I'm not saying this in any way to justify, of course, subway groping. Please don't misunderstand me. But I, I think that that is a mistake. You know, in in all spheres of human life and human wrongdoing, we accept that there are certain degrees of of moral hierarchies. We accept that different kinds of acts cause 
different kinds of harm, and we uh, ag- all agree that you know intent matters. I mean, right. we have different degrees of murder, right? And the reason why we have different degrees of murder is because the legal system represents, or sorry, recognizes that that, that different intents. Um, uh, might go into why someone is murdered or why someone has made the choice to murder. So, and, and that's relevant when we're when we're looking at the harm done. That's relevant when we're looking at sentencing. It's relevant when we look at how to prevent murder, and it's relevant when we look at how to punish and penalize and dissuade murder. So, and I, I think sexual assault and sexual harassment are really, really no different. Um, when I mean, you're still dead one way or the other. The act is still vile. But uh, you, you know, I think we have to have to accept and examine that there's different kinds of sexual harassment, different kinds of sexual assault, and that these things cause different kinds of harm. At the same time, we also have to accept that there are different kinds of offenders, and you know, the, the thing that is going to um, it, it's a danger to, to misdiagnose uh, an offender because the sort of thing that's going to prevent one type of offender from engaging in sexual harassment or sexual assault is not going to prevent the other type of offender from engaging in sexual harassment or assault. And I think to be a little bit clearer to that point, I kind of draw a distinction between, you know, relatively ordinary men who will misbehave in certain situations and straightforward sociopathic predators. I don't think those are the same things. You know, an ordinary man who gets drunk at an office party and, you know, gropes uh, one of his colleagues. That's that's a bad act, and you know we need policies in place to prevent that, of course. But that is not the same thing as someone who is genuinely lacking in empathy, genuinely power-hungry sociopath who is um, targeting the weak and 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 single, singling out extremely vulnerable people in order to abuse them and rape them. Those things are very very different types of things, and they're very very different types of offenders. And um, different approaches are required to identify and prevent those various different types of things. Right. You know, it's interesting. Later on, we're going to be talking about impaired driving. And there seems to be a parallel there, too, because someone who's at or near the legal limit, it's it's different than someone who's double or triple the legal limit. Someone who's a first-time offender, different than a multiple offender. And someone who has an opinion that might seem flippant or dismissive about impaired driving, well, sure, they're still maybe in a way part of the problem, but it would be wrong to label them an offender. And it seems though we've got kind of a sliding scale here. You mentioned Matt Damon in your piece, and his sin is having what seems to be a flippant or dismissive opinion about all of this. He's not been accused of doing anything to anybody. No, exactly. And, and he, he, the reaction against Matt Damon has been vociferous and intense. And I think what disturbed me about some of the reaction, to be clear, which probably be clear what Matt, Matt Damon said, is that Matt Damon on an interview with ABC basically said, look, there's a difference between someone who gropes someone and someone who molests children. Like, they're both bad actions, but they're not, they're not the same actions. And the, the, the response to him was outrage. And, and actually, there were the response to him, particularly from some of the leading actresses in this movement, were to, reduce, to the effect of, well, no, there is no difference. There's no difference because the subjective experience of the, of the victim is, 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 is unknowable. Like, you know, someone who's groped may be utterly traumatized and someone who is raped may not be. So it's, it's the subjective experience of the victim that counts. And that is just not how anything works. <laughs> like in criminal law, we, we don't say a crime hasn't been, has or hasn't been committed because of the sexual, or sorry, because of the subjective experience of the victim. If a woman is raped and she isn't bothered by that rape, we don't say a crime wasn't committed on her. I mean, that's, that's just not how any of that works. Right. So 
you know, the subjective experience of people who experience sexual harassment is important, and it's it's part of the conversation, but it's not the only factor that, that goes in to these sorts of conversations, if that makes sense. Well, it does. I mean, like, uh, at the end of the day, men, men need to not behave badly. That's the yeah. uh, easy and obvious solution to this Correct. problem, right? So those who would say, look, bad is bad, and shades of gray are kind of irrelevant, I mean, what, what's the danger, though, of approaching the problem that way? Well, because it goes back to my, my, my conversation earlier about different kinds of offenders being motivated by different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, absolutely, unequivocally, if you're a man, if you're a woman, don't behave badly. Like, this isn't hard. Um, however, if you're a relatively ordinary man and, and you, you know, get drunk or you're in a weird situation or you're in a dysfunctional environment and you behave badly one time, a, there are, there are better ways to approach you to try and prevent that from happening in the first place. And the start, start it starts with changing, uh, cre- creating education around what behavior is, creating very clear guidelines, creating zero tolerance policies, and also, um, uh, I would say, uh, y- you know, just 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 being very explicit about what's acceptable and not, not acceptable in a particular environment. That's going to prevent and help to prevent a lot of sexual harassment by ordinary men who are making bad decisions, but who are otherwise empathetic human beings who are capable of regretting those bad decisions. I don't think that that gets us anywhere when we're talking about someone who is pathologically different. I don't think that actually helps us to prevent the type of abuses that are perpetuated by people who are genuinely sociopathic, who have no moral guidelines, who have no sense of moral empathy, who are, who are wired differently at an absolutely genetic brain level. Um, when we're dealing with someone at that level who is an, who's a predator, that person knows how to navigate the systems around him and, and manipulate the people around him to his benefit. So that is the sort of person who is going to craft a sexual harassment policy that he knows how to get around. You know, mm-hmm. That is the person who's going to surround himself with powerful women who wind up enabling him in the long run. Those people are much, much more dangerous. They can do a lot more harm. And I think that when we're talking about sexual harassment, we need a conversation that encompasses a lot of different motivations of human behavior. And to do that, we need to have a nuanced conversation about this stuff, not one that says everybody is the same, all men are equally evil, and all evil acts are, are, are equally abhorrent. Because that's not a nuanced conversation, and that doesn't get to the motivations of behavior very, very well. Yeah, well said. Uh, folks who read your piece was mentioned up at nationalpost.com. Jen, some great points. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Uh, there's our friend Jen Gerson, a uh, fantastic columnist for the National Post, nationalpost.com. You can read her latest there. Uh, when we come back, we can get the latest on this weird story today uh, in this family that's dealing with the death of a loved one uh, and then suddenly having to deal with what, with what they perceive to be Somewhat predatory behavior by an online obituary listing company. Now, the response from the company is that, look, hey, we only deal with stuff that's uh, out there in the public realm. We're not hacking into your computer to steal information about a loved one so we can type up uh, an obituary. So we'll try to get the bottom of what happened here and, and how companies like Afterlife, which is the company in question here, how they operate and where they're getting this information from and, and what people need to know and when they're dealing with the death of a loved one. So we'll hear from uh, reporter Sarah Offen coming up uh, in a few minutes here. Got some other stuff to get to, uh, of course. Busy show for you on a Thursday afternoon. We are back with more right after that. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.